Oh, hello. How are you doing? It's a bit damp out there, isn't it? I made Jasper go out to get us more milk. Why don't you join me by the fire? Warm up a bit. Oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm doing good, thank you. Halloween's always a really busy time for us, so we've been rushed off our feet. We got a delivery in this morning, so I've been sat here most of the day pricing up the new entomology. This bat skeleton is particularly beautiful. Oh, you like it too? Well, it may no longer be for sale. Do you fancy a snack? I know I normally offer biscuits, but as we're coming up to Halloween, I thought I'd try making some soul cakes in honour of my English roots. I think they turned out pretty good. They're a cross between a scone and an Eccles cake with a little cross scored on top. Oh, and there's some salted butter on the table beside you if you fancy it. Now, as a child, I never had soul cakes, but there is an old tradition in many parts of England that on All Hallows' Eve, locals who were affectionately known as soulers would go from house to house, begging their neighbours for soul cakes and spiced ale in return for prayers for recently deceased family members whose souls may be stuck in purgatory. Not quite the trick-or-treating we know today, is it? Although, receiving cake for bothering my neighbours does sound pretty great to me. In Shropshire, during the 1800s, these cakes were often heaped onto platters outside the local church instead, presumably after everyone was sick of being woken up each year. Initially a tradition born from the Catholic Church, souling gradually lost its holy origins and became much more about merriment and fun, as modern trick-or-treating is today. Songs replaced prayers, and children began asking for apples and nuts instead of cake and beer. Probably more appropriate when you come to think of it. I wonder what kids would think today if I offered them these soul cakes. They'd probably egg me. Lack of chocolate on Halloween is almost as bad as being in purgatory, in my opinion. Speaking of souls, there's another English tradition I heard about recently. During the 19th century in the west of England, families would gather on a hill after the sun had set on the 31st of October. One member of the family, typically the father, would hold up a pitchfork with a bale of burning straw impaled on the prongs. The others would kneel around him in a circle, praying intently for the souls of friends and relatives, alive or dead, until the flames eventually went out. This was known as Teenlay, and I can only imagine that it looked like something out of the Wicker Man. No, not the one with the bees. Punky Night is another form of trick-or-treating from history. While it wasn't actually celebrated on the 31st, instead falling on the last Thursday of October, I think it counts. In the West Country, children would march around with a carved swede or mangle wurzel, begging for candles to light them with. Mangle wurzels are a vegetable which look like a mix between a sweet potato and a beetroot. I know, it sounds like a name for a possessed scarecrow. If people refused to give them anything, the children would threaten them. With what, I'm not really sure. On these evenings, a punky king and queen would be nominated to lead the proceedings throughout the village. Now, there's little information on this, but I can't help but imagine them dressed as pearly kings and queens, their buttons glinting in the moonlight. Where I grew up in Gloucester, there's a place called Overfarm Market, a cute farm shop where you can pick strawberries in summer and pay a couple of quid to feed their donkeys. It's the kind of place that is only really frequented by locals, 
That is, until it comes to October. Their now infamous Haunted Hayride is visited by thousands of people each year, many of whom will probably wet themselves. Scaring people's big business these days, haunted houses attract an unbelievable amount of visitors each year, especially in America, each with varying degrees of what organisers like to call physical interaction. This means that actors are allowed to grab you, shake you, and essentially do whatever they want in order to make you as freaked out as possible. No thanks. You know, it makes me wonder how many people brave enough to visit these literal horror shows know that the first recorded haunted attraction wasn't in America, but a small village in the south of England called Liphook. Oh yeah. In 1915, World War I was just beginning. Life was already tough for the common man. The addition of curfews, food rationing and air raids would have been more than some could bear. The Orton and Spooner Ghost House was built by Patrick Collins, the manager of a successful carnival in the area. Intended as a gift for his wife Flora, the haunted cottage, as they called it, turned out to be a huge hit. Regular visitors to his carnival invited friends, who invited friends, and soon the attraction was famous. Human beings, when faced with trauma, often benefit from exploring their fear and dark thoughts in a controlled environment. It's really not surprising that a generation forced to live through the horrors of war found comfort in the fright. After all, many of us still do it today. I love watching horror films, then immediately grow to regret it as the sun sets. Unsurprisingly, the ghost house would seem incredibly tame to visitors today. It's essentially a box, a dark box with rocking floors. Air blasts from below at random points. Visitors would walk through the house in the dark, holding their hands out to try and stay upright, while the walls they tried to steady themselves on vibrated. The house is only as long as a train carriage, but I imagine that the motion and the lack of light made it difficult to get through. The original exterior artwork remains the same. Patrick painted ghosts and skeletons peeking out of the windows. In the 20s and 30s, classic movie monsters were added, including the Phantom of the Opera and Frankenstein's monster. Honestly, the design isn't that great, but I do find it charming that over a hundred years later, we still associate the same motifs with Halloween. Not much changes, eh? Nowadays, it seems that the spooky season is only celebrated by two groups of people, children and drunk students. Historically though, Halloween was intergenerational, much more about nature and the changing of the seasons than couples costume and sugar rushes. That's why each year I send Halloween cards to my dear friends to let them know that as the year changes and nights draw in, I will think about them and wish that their souls never end up in purgatory. That's all I've got for today. Sadly, England has far less original traditions than the other areas of the UK. We celebrate in many ways. They just aren't ours to claim. Now, I've, I've babbled at you enough. Please, feel free to go and browse. I've still got loads of pricing to work through, but if you need anything, please let me know. Oh, and before you leave... 
Come back and take a soul cake for the road. No prayers required.